If you have a Bible, you can open to Matthew's Gospel. We'll look at chapter 7, verses 7 through 12 this morning. And the text is also there in the bulletin on the next page. <clears throat> uh, we're getting toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, there's so much wonderful stuff, really, to consider in this uh, sermon, in these chapters of Matthew's Gospel, 5 through 7. Uh, that we're taking, it's, it's going to be about six months total to uh, go through it bit by bit. Uh, the church has thought about this sermon for 2,000 years and still hasn't explored all the heights and depths of it. Uh, there's great benefit to being able to uh, slow down and pay close attention to each part as we've been doing. There's also a potential drawback um, if it means that we lose sight of the context of the whole thing as we're looking at just uh, the little parts. So uh, it's easy to take a passage like ours uh, this morning and to take it out of context and to hear it saying something that doesn't really fit with what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount as a whole. Uh, so let's just remember that simple fact, it's all one sermon. And uh, Jesus intends each part to belong to the whole, and it all works together to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's talking about. So, <clears throat> so let's hear what Jesus has to say and consider how he's connecting all these things together uh, in his sermon as we consider this passage this morning. So let's pray, then we'll read the scripture. <clears throat> Father, we pray for the Spirit's help as we consider the word of your Son this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. <clears throat> so when Jesus talks about prayer here, sort of in that first paragraph that we just read, uh, in verses 7 through 11, it's easy to hear him as, as if he were talking about something that's completely detached from what came before it. Ideally, I think actually we would like to hear him just writing a blank check, right? Ask and it will be given. Whatever. Anything. You know? We'd like to hear him saying that he's writing a blank check. Or we'd like to hear the voice of a genie granting us just totally free wishes. Whatever you, you, your heart desires. Uh, it barely even dawns on us that this might actually be connected to the rest of the sermon. Uh, that he's preaching about the strange blessing of life in his kingdom. And then we go on to verse 12. It seems like he abruptly changes subjects uh, yet again and tells us to live by this, what we've come to know as the golden rule, right? Uh, where we treat others as we would like to be treated. Um, maybe we'd even prefer him to, to just yank that verse out of context too. And hear Jesus uh, to be saying something like, if you want others to treat you well, then you treat them well first. And if you show them kindness, uh, maybe they'll show you kindness too. But at the very least, uh, however you look at verse 12, it, can, it just seems kind of like a non sequitur to us. The golden rule part just doesn't seem to follow, doesn't flow from, doesn't seem to connect in any way to the ask, seek, knock part uh, that comes right before it. Uh, that happens a lot in scriptures, uh, two adjacent verses right next to each other, uh, nothing in between them, yet they seem 
to be entirely unrelated to us. It, it just feels like it's a change of subject. And often, uh, the translators and the printers of the Bibles that we read uh, will make it worse by introducing sort of an artificial break, a visual break, uh, and they'll insert a little header for a title uh, for what they propose to be this new section that's uh, starting with this change of subject. It's not a change of subject. We just need to figure out how these thoughts are connected. We know that these thoughts are connected uh, because of that little word that shows up at the beginning of verse 12, so, right? So um, the same word is also translated, uh, therefore, or consequently. Uh, when Jesus is talking, and then he says, so, therefore, and then he keeps talking, you assume that those things are connected. You assume it, and then you look to discover how they're connected. And sometimes that's hard work, right? How they're connected. So, <clears throat> uh, so what is Jesus talking about here? Uh, I think he's starting to close up his Sermon on the Mount. I think he's uh, finishing up with material that really is representative of the whole of what he's been saying so far. Um, getting to the heart of the gospel of the kingdom of heaven that he's been preaching. The sermon uh, will go on, uh, finally, uh, to close with some warnings. It's just like ending after ending, sort of like the Lord of the Rings, right? The, the, uh, the movie version where there's like 20 minutes of different endings that just happen before the screen goes black and then it comes back up with another ending. It's like we're in the we're beginning of the endings of the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> and uh, what follows are some warnings about how to listen to Jesus and how to hold fast to what he's saying. But I think uh, he's really sort of getting to the climax of the main body of the content of his sermon uh, here in this passage. So, so what he's saying here is connected. It's related to the rest of the sermon, and it's representative of the rest of the sermon. He talks about prayer here, ask, seek, knock, and it'll be given. Uh, um, talks about that because that's where this whole sermon has led us. The whole sermon's led us to a place of absolute dependence on God uh, for our life together with him in his kingdom. Ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it'll be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. So that's a promise. That's a promise that God hears your prayers and he answers your prayers. It's a promise that you can trust without reservation. Jesus doesn't really give any caveats here. It's a promise that you can trust without reservation, but you can't ignore the context of the, the Sermon on the Mount and just imagine that Jesus is promise, promising to give us just anything you might want. <clears throat> if, if someone's going to preach this as sort of a health and wealth prosperity gospel, if you pray well enough, you pray hard enough, you pray long enough, you pray in the right way, use the right words or whatever, and Jesus will give you just, it's like, like the genie in the lamp, free wishes, whatever you want, right? Health and wealth. If, if someone's going to preach this as that, uh, they're going to have to do that against the flow of everything else Jesus has already said in this sermon. He isn't saying, well, if you want this earthly comfort or that earthly pleasure, or uh, if you want fame and power, or if you want riches in long life, uh, easy circumstances in life, just ask. It'll all be yours. He's not saying that. Jesus wouldn't say that. Jesus wouldn't say that. If you think Jesus is saying that, you either don't know Jesus, or you're not applying what you do truly know about Jesus to this promise. He is saying, if you want the blessed life of my kingdom, just ask. Seek for that. Keep knocking at that door, and the Father will give you that blessed life, that strange blessing. He will give it to you. This promise is for people who have heard what Jesus is saying in this Sermon on the Mount. They've heard what he's saying, 
and they say, yes, I want that. I want that. If all you want is three wishes from the genie, uh, if all you want is wealth, power, and pleasure, then you don't want the blessed life of the kingdom of heaven. Anyone who's really heard the Sermon on the Mount knows that. The blessed life is about things like knowing your spiritual poverty and your dependence on God. It's about mourning. It's about meekness. The blessed life is about the desperate hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's about enduring persecution. It's about loving your enemies. It's about forgiving those who hurt you. It's about being humble and gracious to other sinners. But in all these things, the blessed life of the kingdom of heaven is about knowing Jesus. It's about being with him. It's about resting in him. It's about relating to God the way that Jesus relates to his father. It's about becoming like God, actually, in his faithfulness. It's about becoming like God in his generosity. It's about becoming like God in his mercy, in his impossible love, his love which is impossible for us. It's about extending the grace of God to others for reconciliation in Jesus' name. So if you want this, if you want the blessed life of the kingdom, the way Jesus proclaims it, the way Jesus embodies it in his own life and in his own suffering love, then all you have to do is ask, and it's yours, because the Father delights to give good gifts to his beloved children. Uh, Which of you, Jesus says, if, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Um, or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you, then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So, pretty simple comparison here. Jesus compares earthly fathers with the heavenly Father. Uh, he isn't embarrassed to call earthly fathers evil. Uh, yet, even evil earthly fathers love their children enough to give them good gifts, Uh, Therefore, God, the heavenly father, the only good father whose love is perfect, can be trusted even more to give good gifts to his beloved children. Jesus is always bringing things back to our relationship with God. That's that's what he's always talking about. Always that special relationship. Always talking about his, his own heavenly father as if he were our father, too. Because that is the unparalleled gift of his grace. That's the glorious essence of Christian salvation. We can know that God is our Father, just as Jesus calls him Father, through faith in Jesus' his Son, and because of the Holy Spirit of Sonship who has been given to us, and that Spirit is the real answer to this prayer as Jesus is talking about it. In fact, uh, Luke's version, version makes this explicit. He, he records Jesus making this promise in his version of this uh, event. <clears throat> he says in Luke 11, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So when Jesus says the Father gives good gifts, he means the Father gives the Holy Spirit. So what we pray for when we ask and when we seek and when we knock in this way, what we pray for is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our relationship with God, just as he is the relationship between the Father and the Son. He's the relationship of divine love in the Trinity. So this kind of prayer 
is less like asking for nice, shiny things or an easy, comfortable existence. It's more like asking for salvation. It's more like asking for a relationship with God in the Spirit. The promise of Jesus here is like the promise that we find in other places in Scriptures. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is Jesus' version of that promise in his own words, in his sermon. So if you want the blessed life in the kingdom of heaven, if you want to relate to God the way Jesus relates to God as his father, if you want to have the assurance of salvation and confidence in your life with God, then you want the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't just the one who makes us happy in some abstract sense as we go through life. He's the spirit of Christ. He's the one who unites us to Christ. He's the one who graciously convicts us of our sins. That is a gracious work that the Holy Spirit does, as miserable as it may be for us to be convicted of our sins, even to think of them for very long. He graciously convicts us of our sins. He helps us to know our need for Jesus so that he can convince us then that our salvation and our help are found in Jesus. He's the one who causes God's word to take root in our hearts and to renew our minds. He's the one who grants us a sense of God's love for us. In Christ. He's the one who helps us to pray to our Father in the name of Jesus. He's the one who strengthens us with courage and boldness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's the one who fills us with God's own love for God and for others because He is God's love. The Spirit is the one who catches us up into the divine life of the triune God and He places us squarely in the position of the Son relating to the Father. So if you want to participate in the life of Christ, if you want to live as a citizen in the kingdom of heaven, if you want God's own life in you, then you want the Father to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you want this good gift, Jesus says, the Father will give him to you because he is the good Father who loves perfectly, the heavenly Father who delights to give good gifts to his children. God gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Because God gives you the gifts that he himself would want if he were in your place. That's what he gives you. Think about that for a minute. Uh, My dad used to say that to me when he gave me gifts. It always made me feel loved. I think he's saying it as a way of expressing his love. He would say, I wouldn't give you something that I wouldn't want for myself. I'm not going to give you some cheap, stupid gift that I didn't put any thought into, right, that nobody wants. Just because I'm supposed to give you a gift. I'm going to give you something that I would want. If I were you, that was the best he knew about how to give a good gift. God gives his spirit because he gives gifts that he would want to receive. Because God himself lives according to this golden rule in verse 12. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. That's longhand for this is the scriptures, right? God doesn't call us to live any differently than he would live if he were in our place. And remember, this is how Jesus started off his sermon, saying that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets, to fulfill everything the scriptures reveal about the will of God for human beings living in a relationship with him. Jesus came to live the very life of God, because he is God, to live the very life of God in our place. And so we call this the golden rule, which is a fine name for this rule, because it is a rich distillation of what it means to love according to the scriptures. 
right? The scriptures say a whole bunch of things about how God defines love, about what love really is according to God's reality and how we, we can love God and love one another. The scripture says a bunch of stuff about that. And this golden rule is one good way to sort of distill out or summarize this love with reference to the scriptures. The golden rule is not just about, you know, sort of doing, doing whatever you think is best for this relationship. For example, <clears throat> I would just like to be left alone, so I'm going to leave you alone. Let's just agree to leave each other alone or something. Uh, or I don't, I don't want to get hurt, so I'm not going to hurt other people. Um, the golden rule isn't meant for that. It's not meant for imposing your expectations on other people. You know, if you treat other people well, then you deserve for them to treat you well in return. It isn't just about setting up mutual agreements for keeping civil society. You need to know the law and the prophets in order to understand the golden rule the way that Jesus talks about it here. You need to know the shape of God's love. And this rule summarizes that shape very well. Before this golden rule describes any of us, it describes him. It describes Jesus. It describes the Son of God incarnate. It describes the triune God whose eternal life is love, this kind of love. Just as God wouldn't give us a gift that he himself wouldn't want to receive, he doesn't call us to live in a way that he himself wouldn't live if he were in our place. This is how God lives doing unto the other as he would have the other do unto him, loving the other as he loves himself. And that describes the divine life of the Trinity. The Father loves the Son as he loves himself in the Spirit. And the Son loves the Father as he loves himself in the Spirit. This describes the love of God toward us, not just contained within the Godhead, but toward us. God became a human being so that he could love us as he loves himself so that he could treat us as he would wish to be treated. He entered our place so that he could love us how he would want to be loved if he were in our place. When God loves us according to the golden rule, it looks like Jesus. In the incarnation, God loves humanity as he would want to be loved. That's mind-bending stuff. Go ahead and uh, just spend some time thinking about it for the rest of the day, for the rest of your life. Nobody fulfills the golden rule like God himself does. The golden rule describes the life of God. It describes the life of Jesus. Jesus has received the Father's golden rule love, and he's received it on our behalf. The Father gave Jesus the gift of the Spirit, this gift that he's talking about that we should pray for that he will give. The Father gave Jesus the gift of the Spirit because it's the gift God would want if he were in our place. So the Spirit of God's golden rule love fills Jesus, and all of his life was lived out of the power of the Spirit, and because this spirit filled him, Jesus has extended his father's golden rule love to us. He has laid down his life for us. He has shared his good heavenly father with us. He's given us the gift of eternal life because this is the gift he would want to receive if he were in our place. And in fact, it is the gift he has received in our place. And it's the gift that he has shared with us. Jesus has received the Spirit from his Father, and he's given us the same gift so that the Spirit of God's golden rule love would fill us up too. And this is why he connects this asking, seeking, knocking prayer 
the gift of the Father's Spirit, connects it to the golden rule. Your Father gives good things to those who ask Him. Your Father gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. So, therefore, live with the golden rule love of the Spirit of God in you. The blessed life of the kingdom of heaven is first uh, a life of dependence on God, a life of asking and receiving. And then it's a gift, a, a life of giving the same gifts, a life of loving with the same love that you've received. God gives you himself because that's the gift he would want to be given if he were in your place. If you ask for that gift, you'll receive it. If you seek for that gift, you'll find it. If you knock for that gift, it'll be open to you. So Stanley Hauerwas says, those who follow Jesus can ask the Father to give the good things that only he can give. The trick, of course, is to learn how to live on the basis of gift. So that's the trick. That, that isn't easy, uh, to live on the basis of gift. And it, it means we confess our dependence. We confess our need for the gift of God's life in us. In fact, it's impossible. It's not just a difficult trick to pull off. <laughs> it's impossible for sinners to do to live on the basis of gift, to ask and to seek, and to knock, and to receive. You don't receive the gift life of God because you asked well, because none of us ask well. You don't receive the gift life of God because you really knew what you were doing when you prayed. None of us really know what we're doing when we pray. You receive the gift life of God through the Spirit because the Father loves to give good gifts to his children. So Karl Barth said, it's not as if Our prayer were the certain thing, and God's hearing the uncertain, but precisely the opposite. We can doubt the value, power, and sincerity of our own asking, but not God's hearing. Will our request as such ever be anything but weak and poverty-stricken? Well, we're not called upon to believe in its power and richness. We're called upon to believe that it is heard by God, even as it is prayed. It is because it is heard that we pray, and not because we're so skilled in asking. The Heidelberg Catechism says this, I think, in in a different, more succinct way. It's even more sure that God listens to my prayer than that I really desire what I pray for. It's more sure that he listens than that I even want what I'm asking for. So the blessed life in the kingdom of heaven, the golden rule love of God, the Holy Spirit, is a gift that we would never comprehend before asking and receiving. I mean, in fact, it'll take us eternity to explore the heights and depths of this gift. All that to say, when you pray in the way Jesus teaches us to pray, you don't really know what it is you're asking for. You're entrusting yourself to the goodness and the love of the Father who loves to give good gifts to his children. God is the one who instructs us to ask. God is the one who tells us we we have to come to him as those who have a need for his gift. And he's the one who tells us to believe him when he promises to give the good gift. And once the Father has given you this good gift, the golden rule love of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, uh, he lives in you so that you, you pray to see others ask for the same gift and receive the same gift because the same golden rule spirit lives in you. You start asking and seeking and knocking on their behalf because that's the same kind of love you've received. Jesus has been asking and seeking and knocking on your behalf this whole time. And this concern for others in their relationship with God connects very well to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus assumes that we want to see others glorify our Father who is in heaven. 
Uh, He calls us to extend the mercy that we've received to other people who need it. He calls us to lead others to himself, to stand at the foot of his cross there together. He calls us to forgive, even as we've been forgiven, and to pray for that kind of forgiveness to become a reality, a central reality in our lives. In Christ, God has treated us as he himself would wish to be treated if he were in our place. He's brought us into the eternal life and the true glory and the golden rule love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The blessed life in his kingdom, it's yours for the asking. It's yours for the sharing, if you want it. Amen. Let's pray. I'm going to close with a prayer from uh, Paul from Ephesians 3. For this reason, we bow our knees before you, our Father, the good Father in heaven, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of your glory, you would grant us to be strengthened with power through your Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to you who are able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.